Hey everyone, welcome back to Today in Tech. I'm Julia Beauchamp and I am here with Macworld Executive Editor Michael Simon as well as Computer World Executive Editor Ken Mingus. We are live on YouTube as well as on LinkedIn, so if you have any questions or comments while we are talking and discussing, please do let me know. We also have a special double feature um, episode today, so we'll be talking today um, with Ken and Mike a little bit about um, just some some chip things at large, Intel's new CPUs, um, the the Google Pixel 6 powered by its own chip. And then later in the show, we're going to have Mario, Mario Morales, the program vice president for enabling technologies and semiconductors at IDC on to talk to talk about the ongoing chip shortage. So if you had any questions about either of those things, please do let us know. So before we start, it's it's applicable to the conversation. Can you have you have a new a new baby? I have, yeah, the, a uh, new M1 Max, M1 Max, M1 Max, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, you know, it was a long journey. I had tried to order one on the day uh, that they were announced last week, and uh, my delivery date was going to wind up being like mid to late November. So I lucked up and uh, managed to order one for pickup on Tuesday when they actually were released. So ordered it about 8 a.m. on Tuesday and had it in hand about 11:30. Just now getting the. Uh, to know it, it, it is a phenomenal machine. I'm sure I will never put it through the paces in a way that <laughs> somebody who's doing video editing or you know crunching databases and running virtual machines, things like that. But it should certainly keep me going for the next three, four, five years. Although I know Michael probably doubts that that will be the case, but uh, that's the well. Plan. I heard you went to the Apple Store and, and demanded. Yelling in the middle of the store, do you know no, who I am? No, no. <laughs> d- d- demanding do that. that they give you give you your computer. No, no. That's I, that's what I heard. I very quietly got online. I, I paid too much attention to the Mac for Mac rumors forums about the best way to do this and skip the line. And uh, so I, I jumped online first thing this Tuesday morning and it worked. Fair and yeah, square. And I, will, I will say this. It, I'm glad I did because I was just checking before we started talking. And uh, and this may go back to the point you were making earlier, Juliet, about chip shortages and things. Uh, you know, these are no longer available for pickup, at least locally where I am in Raleigh, North Carolina. And uh, if you order one now, you'll get it probably around the 1st of December, something like that, or the first week of December. So that's, you know, for uh, pretty much a, a major product for Apple, That's that's a pretty good backup. Yeah. Delay, I mean, in terms so, of, you know. So how's that M1 Max treating you? So far, so good. You know, there, there have been some issues. I think people have complained that uh, Safari doesn't really do the promotion in the way that uh, uh, it should. And I think everybody's assuming that's going to require a, a quick uh, uh, software update. The notch is notch an issue for me, as it were. <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean about the promotion? I didn't... Okay, yeah, it. there's apparently uh, if you do scrolling in Safari and I think maybe Chrome as well, uh, right. it doesn't appear that the promotion is is bumping up to, to 120. Really? Uh, it's it's it, it, well, again, my eyes are not as 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 focused on this as apparently a lot of people. There's, there's a lot of discussion about it. Again, if you take a take a look at the uh, uh, Mac Rumors forums. Um, um, it, now, in terms of like when you move windows around the desktop, you know, when you're when you're pinching and zooming and stuff, smooth as butter. I mean, it, you know, it, you can tell clearly it's it's 120, but yeah. it with some scrolling in Safari, it, it stutters a little bit. Some people say, okay. yeah, interesting. But again, you know, in terms of the notch, it took me, uh, you know, all of a day to realize I don't care. It's not bothering <laughs> me. It doesn't get in the way of any of my menu items at the menu bar and. Uh, um, so I'm, I'm a happy camper. We got conflicting comments last week on our episode. One person 
was very much on your team, Ken. No one cares about the notch. But another person, to your point, Mike, very insistent that they do not like the notch. It's Yeah, I mean, we're going to get that from here yeah. until the end of whenever. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a polarizing feature. It's been for the iPhone now forever. And it was the same thing with on Android phones. I mean, it is a, it's a thing. And if your eyes can't not see it, it's going right. to be a nuisance. You know, that's yeah. just the way it's going to go. So there it is. The notch. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. And it's big and it's noticeable. And, you know, yeah. if you Apple can say all they want, well, you're getting the same amount of screen space and, and all that is true, but you can't convince, you can convince your brain, but not your eyes, if you, as, as, if you will. So fair enough. You have to think so, about it as the, basically the, the, the screen real estate below the notch is full screen. Again, sure. and semantics. So the menu bar above it is the extra. It's right. just, just a change in mindset. Let me drink some more cool air. It's the same situation of the, as the iPhone. It's still there. All right. Yeah. I think let's talk a little bit about the, the chips at hand. So yeah. talked a little bit about this M1 Max, um, Ken, and you're enjoying it. But I wanted to talk a little bit about, um, so Intel just yesterday, it sort of formally introduced its 12th generation Alder Lake CPUs, and one of them in leaked benchmarks seems to outperform the new M1 M1 Max by a hair. And I think last week we had even said something along the lines of, you know, new Intel chips are going to come out. How fast are they going to be? It seems like the answer is pretty, pretty, pretty powerful. (laughs) Yeah. Well, let's, let's, let's explain a few things before we get into this. So Alder Lake, what Intel released are desktop CPUs. They're brand new. They are built on a seven nanometer process for the first time. Uh, Intel's been doing ten and, and promising seven forever, uh, but they they finally got to seven, and it's a completely different architecture. So they're doing what Apple is doing, what AMD is doing with these cores. So they have uh, high efficiency cores and, and and high performance cores inside these desktop processors. So it's a completely different chip, and in some ways it's a direct response to these types of chips, Apple's um, before the M1, the A, the A series chips and, and AMD's chips, which have kind of been eating Intel's lunch for a while now. Uh, Intel is still a big name. They still send it to sell a ton of, of, of processors and they're still mm-hmm. you know, among the fastest around. But when you're talking about a modern chip architecture, they, they, they didn't have what these chips have with these types of cores. So this is a change for them. Alder Lake is basically an, an M1, mm-hmm. essentially, an Intel version of an M1 chip. So the ones that they released, they absolutely destroy the M1 because they're desktop chips and they're they're optimized for performance. We haven't seen the M1 Pro, M1 Max in a say an iMac, or uh, certainly certainly not a Mac Pro, which is what these chips are are destined for those those higher end machines. So. The what Intel released this week isn't isn't a fair comparison. Now, what you're talking about is leaked benchmarks of the mobile version yeah. of that chip. Yes. The, the Alder Lake chip, which I mean, yes, the benchmarks that we've seen leaked do by a hair beat the M1 Max mm-hmm. by the smallest of margins. And we don't know. So they were run obviously using Windows 11. Windows 11 does some some optimization stuff with um, hyper-threading or whatever it's called. So we, we, we don't really know the actual comparison uh, apples to apples 
no pun intended, uh-huh. performance. Um, I'm not surprised at all that these chips will, you know, meet what Apple has done with the, with the M1 Mac. I mean, Intel's a chip company. If they don't, what are they doing? Totally. <laughs> so I'm not, that, that doesn't surprise me at all. What's, what, what is a little, you know, it's as, as a, as a, as a Mac world editor, it's a little irritating that as soon as this happens, everyone's like, Oh, look, Apple's terrible. Like, like, listen, Apple basically makes chips on the side. And they're making them as good as what was once the, the biggest and the best and the most uh, 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 the, the number one chip maker in the world. And Intel is playing a little bit of catch up here. There's, 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 no, there's no real denying it. Apple, the M1 Max is, uh, uh, it's, it's a ridiculously good chip. And I'm sure the M2 Max next year or, or, or maybe 2023, whenever we get it, is gonna take that even, even further. And it, you can't deny that Apple right now is a major player, both in the chip making business and in how the entire landscape is shifting towards these types of chips. You know, we, sure. we talked about this a couple of weeks back and this is the, exactly what we were talking about is that what Apple is doing with its, with its whole chip design manufacturing process is spurring innovation in a way yep. that, you know, Intel has not had this kind of competition. I know it's got competition with other, you know, AMD and others, but you know, this is the sort of thing that is good on both sides of the, of the ocean, if you will, because both companies, you know, will look to compete on both, not, not just speeds, but like, you know, heat, um, battery sure. life for mobile devices. Well, that's the, that's the other thing we don't know. Right. Is, is that. You know, benchmarks well, one, are in a one benchmark leaked does yeah. not mean that a Windows 11 machine running the Alder Lake chip is going to run either as fast, as cool, or as long as exactly. as the MacBook Pro. And you know, the fact that Intel's that until that Apple's in the conversation is a win for Apple. I mean, this yeah. is their first high performance chip for for a desk for for a Mac. That's it. The M1 was not that. It was very much low end, even though it was in the 13-inch MacBook Pro. It wasn't. It wasn't a high end chip. This is, and the fact that Intel's, you know, so Alder Lake, we're probably looking at a, at a two to four year roadmap or whatever it is. Apple's already there, you know, and Apple's roadmap is going to be what it is. We don't know yet because we've only had the first generation of these. So for all we know, the M2 Max doubles performance and Intel's back to the drawing board. So, well, you know, we, I, yep. you said Alder Lake is a seven nanometer chip. Isn't the M1 Pro a five? five? It's a yeah. five, yeah. A and the M2 is probably going to be a five as well, but the M3 will be, mm. the M3 will probably be a three, like based on what we're, what we're seeing. Okay. Yeah. So um, I, I don't, like, I, there's going to be a lot of, once these chips are actually released and once benchmarks are actually come out, we, there will be a lot of headlines that say, you know, ha ha ha, the M1 Max isn't as good as everyone thinks it is, but Okay, I don't, you know, I don't think that, I think that's a little bit, a, a little bit of hyperbole that's not necessary. Yeah. Fair enough. And, you know, there's a thing, we say it all the time, it's, 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 not, it's not something until Apple does it. And this, hi, this hybrid ar- architecture for these chips, which is, again, the, the, the core split between performance and, and, and power. Mm-hmm. AMD has been doing it for a while. It's, it, it's not a new thing. Snapdragon, uh, Qualcomm Snapdragons, they, they're not, it's not a new process but once apple started doing it then intel appeared to notice that maybe <laughs> they should get into it as well i'm not gonna i don't have any inside intel information but it's all convenient 
that once Apple started doing it, all of a sudden now they're in, they're shifting their their main chips now to this to this hybrid power efficiency uh, architecture. All right. So in I think that was a pretty thorough overview. So I wanted to talk a little bit now. Um, I guess it was last week. I'm getting my days confused a little bit that Google announced and the Pixel 6 and the Pixel 6 Pro. Yeah, that was Pro. last that week. Was last week? The, the okay. 19th. I was, even when I was preparing for this, I was like, I don't remember if it was two weeks ago or <laughs> it, was, it was just last week. Google got a little caught up in the, <laughs> the Apple thing. It was unfortunate timing for them. So um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the Tensor chip because this is a big step for Google yeah. to be making its own system on a chip. And it's, I know that we're kind of talking about how these things are reminiscent perhaps of what Apple has done, but I'll link also um, J.R. Raphael's article about the Pixel 6 and the Pixel 6 Pro in the description, but I guess it's, I guess I'm just saying this is, it's, it's big. I'm, how does it run? I guess I'm sure J.R. talks about this in the article. Um, I, I haven't tested it because... Mm -hmm. I don't do that stuff anymore, but um, I did see a, a video comparing the, the iPhone 13 to the um, 13. Yeah, right. That's right. iPhone 13 to the um, the iPhone 13 Pro to the Pixel 6 Pro. And at first, you know, so what this thing does is it's like a it's like a robotic arm that opens applications, waits for them to load, and then and then closes them and opens up another one just to to, to test the the responsiveness of of the chip. At first, the Pixel was ahead by a bit of time, you know, maybe five seconds or so, which I think speaks to the, the RAM. The, the Pixel 6 Pro has 12 gigs of RAM, whereas the iPhone has, I think, uh, eight, maybe six or eight. I don't six. remember. Six, I think. Six, okay. So yeah. that's, a, that's a lot. That's a lot of RAM. So you're able to access those, those things quicker. But when it came to processing something, like a, like a video render, or something like that, or uh, I think it was, a, it was not a render, it was an export of something, the iPhone blew it away. I mean, so Apple's chips, you know, like you, the, the, the pixel will maybe seem faster at certain points. Uh, it cannot compete with um, the speed. And uh, from what I read, the efficiency of the, um, of the, of the A15 processor, I mean, it, it, they're, they're not even on the same level. Um, I don't think that's what Google is necessarily going for here, but it's important that that becomes a, a focus because if you're paying $900 for a phone and up, you want the best performance. And right now it does not appear, even when you compare it to the Snapdragon 888 in the, in the S21, like it's not on the same level as that stuff. And yeah, okay, Google's prioritizing the Tensor stuff, which is AI mm -hmm. and the things that, that it does now bringing that to the to the chip level, okay. I think more important is the is the speed and the graphic power and things like that. And I don't know if the Pixel Six Pro delivers it at that at that price range. Gotcha. You know, big big church, big picture point though. You've got Google developing chips. You've got Intel responding to Apple. Yeah. You've got Apple is basically a major chip maker now. You know, there's a lot of investment, energy, and innovation coming from these companies at this point, and, mm -hmm. and that's good. You know, I mean, yeah. you, you you can argue benchmarks all the time, all day long, depending on exactly what you're doing and under what circumstances. But you know, these you know, the Tensor is a good chip. I'm sure the Alder Lake will be a good chip. 
and the M1 Max is a good chip, you know, and beyond that, the details at this point, I think are sort of meaningless. Fair enough. So we have one quick um, viewer question before we transition over because we've been talking about chips and then we're going to be talking about <laughs> how companies have been getting them. Um, so we have just one question. I think, Mike, this is maybe more of a question for you. They're asking about the A15 Bionic chip. Is this the first time that Apple has gone with sort of like the Bionic labeling? Mm-mm. No, what, uh, it okay. introduced it with the 12. What makes it different? Is there a difference the, or is that just a fancy new the, name? It's a fancy new name, but it it it, re, it refers to the to the neural engine okay. that it released with the well, that it introduced with the A12. So that handles all the machine learning, AI stuff. Um, that's really what it is. It, it's it is, marketing. It's, 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 a, it's a it's a fancy marketing. Name, okay, but, it's marketing. Yeah. But but the the bionic nomenclature came along when they introduced that neural engine with the A12. So gotcha. So to the viewer who asked, but yeah, it doesn't necessarily mean anything. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you both so much for joining. I know this was a little bit quick, but I think we covered a lot. And I think you made a great a great um, conclusion point there, Ken, about, um, you know, new chips, they're coming out, they're fast, it's competition, ultimately. I mean, it'll be exciting to see and it probably a net good, I'm sure, for the consumer at minimum so i mean competition is always good mm-hmm. it's like always yeah and when these yeah when when companies respond to what other companies are doing i mean think about back in the 90s when they were doing those pentium bake-offs <laughs> would literally literally bring intel machines on stage oh, it's 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 all good for us yeah yep great well thank you both so much and we will see you i'm sure next week So in the meantime, um, we are now going to bring on Mario Morales. He is the group vice president of IDC's Enabling Technologies Semiconductor Storage and Datasphere Research. We have had him on before. He's been a really huge, um, he's really well versed in the chip shortage. So we're going to talk a little bit about why it's going on. Last time we talked was back in June. So we want to talk a little bit about how we're still here. Um, So Mario, thank you so much for calling in and joining us. I really appreciate it. Hi, Julia. Good morning. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, you sound great. Okay, great. So like I was saying, the last time we spoke was in June and we were, we were sort of doing a little bit of an overview of how we got here. So quickly, can you recap to me, how did we get here certainly now into almost November um, with this chip shortage, what exactly has been going on? I think there've been various factors. The the first one is the fact that a lot of the industry underinvested in 2019 during a period of correction for the total semiconductor market. So that was one of the key points. And then due to the pandemic and the shutdowns that we saw in 2020, Mm -hmm. there was so much uncertainty and, and that affected how companies could sort of forecast outward. Um, They couldn't see, they didn't have a lot of visibility for, you know, beyond maybe a couple of weeks. And so it became harder and and more challenging for these companies to forecast. And that sort of just upended the supply and demand situation that we see today. Now, what's changed since June? I think that the supply chain shortages are now shifting. They're moving from the front end uh, where, which is where we saw a lot of the shortages now to the back end. And that's where a lot of the bottleneck is today, where you're looking at the fact that a lot of companies can't get wafers, mm-hmm. substrates, crystals, and quartz. And 
uh, chemicals, a lot of these important ingredients that you need to build chips. And not only that, but the back end now. So now that TSMC is catching up to demand, those products still have to ship to a testing company or mm -hmm. an assembly company or a packaging company in Southeast Asia. But there's a bottleneck there now because again, under investment, but also the fact that there's been rolling uh, rolling uh, blackouts in, in that region and they still can't get workers to come back to, to work full, full uh, schedules and stuff. So we're seeing some of those challenges that still persist. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering how your outlook and certainly your group's outlook on the chip shortage has evolved. Um, and is it, I, maybe it's maybe it's tough to compare, but is it worse now than it was previously, let's say when we spoke in June, or at the very least, um, is are we really in the thick of it now? Is it going to ease up? What's the outlook? I think that it depends on where you're at in the supply chain. So if you're a front-end mm -hmm. semiconductor supplier or what, you're one of the big suppliers like a Qualcomm or Broadcom or even an Intel, you're managing through this and you're actually still executing and reporting very good growth numbers. So I think the chip companies, they're definitely enjoying the tightness of the industry. They're able to capitalize that in terms of revenue growth, where you're seeing still sure. that it's gotten worse, especially in September and October timeframe has been in the channel. So if you're an aftermarket company, a distributor or a, a small reseller, you've been double ordering from your suppliers in order to get as much product as you can. So in that perspective, you're probably in a worse situation. Your cash flow is also being impacted because you have to make more orders than even your, your customers are demanding. So I would say from that perspective, um, it's improved for the, the semiconductor industry as a whole, but, but it is getting a little bit worse for some of the folks at the back end. If you're doing transport and logistics, there's so much happening there. I mean, you, you can go to any major port now in the United States and you're seeing just a tremendous amount of ships just waiting to be docked and unloaded. And a lot of it has to do with the workforce, uh, the unions not really uh, adhering to some of the demands that they're seeing. And just in general, the transportation system is just not adequately stepping up to, to take care of some of these issues. Got it. So when we last spoke, the chip shortage's impact on the automotive industry was sort of the, the the main topic of discussion. And just judging by recent news, just yesterday or perhaps two days ago, GM reported um, lower profits in Q3. So it seems like automakers are still very much like feeling the squeeze. And are, are they still, I don't know, bearing the burden of it, so to say? Is, is that still the industry that's most affected? I would say that that's the industry that's going to take the longest to recover. Okay. I think if you have to, you know, part of the conversation we had back in June was that these automotive uh, companies, they shut down in the second quarter of 2020 and they didn't really begin to manufacture again until August, September timeframe. By that point, they realized that they were going to start falling short from a supply standpoint, but they canceled a lot of orders during that period of time. So Fortunately for the semiconductor industry, there were so many demand pools that they were seeing. And so they shifted to these other sets of customers. So essentially the automotive industry moved to the back of the line. Mm. Now, what we found over this period of time, especially throughout 2021 was, is that there's still a lot of inefficiencies within the, the automotive supply chain. So even though now you can get parts, it still takes time to put those parts into a subsystem that ultimately, ultimately make it into a vehicle. And so I, I think that the, the automotive industry as a whole will probably not recover until the second half of next year. 
What about other industries that are now starting to really feel the pinch of the chip shortage? Just coming to mind, and we just talked about this a little bit previously um, in our previous segment about even you know consumer and certainly you know enterprise grade electronics. There is there is a certainly difficulty it seems and longer wait times perhaps than usual to get these devices. Is that is that a result of this chip shortage? Yes, it definitely is. I mean, if you were go back to the beginning of this year and even late last year, there were specific areas that were just really strapped. And a lot of them were also consumer related areas. So you think about game consoles, even to this point today, the lead times for GPU subsystems and graphics cards for gaming is still very long and they've actually extended a lot more. And that's just a demand pull there that you're seeing and just the inability for the suppliers to keep up. I think that when you start going into consumer electronics, there are some specific parts like power supplies and some specific analog parts and discretes and passives. These are, I would call adjacent products that make up the total system. But if you don't have access to those products, you can't finish the system itself. And so you're gonna still see companies struggle to get those parts. I, I do believe it's, it's beginning to ease a little bit, especially as we close out the year. Mm-hmm. Once we get through um, the Chinese new year next year, I think things will start looking a little bit better across some of these markets. But in areas like I mentioned before, in areas like substrates and and quartz and, and chemicals, those markets will take longer to recover just because it does require investment to get to build up that capacity that we need. So it'll be more on the back end. Got it. What about any other industries? We talked automotive, consumer electronic. Are there any other industries that um, come to mind? And it's okay if the answer is no, that the, this chip shortage is affecting and perhaps, you know, I don't know, a little known industry. I think it's fascinating and and certainly something that has um, come to the forefront during this chip shortage is the public realization of just how much is powered by semiconductors and how reliant a lot of devices that we use day to day are, whether it's your car, obviously your phone. Um, And I would imagine that there's it's, it's not just your phones in the cars, right? Yeah, it's, it's everything. I think that semiconductor technology as a whole has become very ubiquitous. So whether it's a wearable product that you have or, or something in your smart home or maybe an industrial PLC system or tool, all of these different systems now rely more on semiconductors. And, and one of the, the key things that we've learned over the last year or so is that there's been a tremendous amount of content growth. Not a lot of people talk about the reality, but, but the fact is that Uh, one of the other reasons why we're seeing some of the shortages and they're really taking longer to recover is because the content within any type of major electronic system is growing. So uh, I'll take a typical smartphone Uh, five years ago. um, And and you look at five years uh, ago and, and today, the content in a phone has essentially doubled, especially with 5G. So there's a lot more complexity. There's a lot more computation. You're seeing more sensors and cameras being put on the device. And so that will continue to be one of the things that the semiconductor industry will have to continue to address. And that's why you're seeing the levels of investment that an Intel or a Samsung or TSMC are making. These guys Mm -hmm. are going to spend over $100 each just to address some of these opportunities. You look at Samsung and, and Micron and even SK Hynix, they're also committing hundreds of billions of dollars to address the opportunities that they see ahead. And so I see some of these things are gonna get resolved, but it takes time to build this capacity into the supply chain. Yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. So we 
again, when we previously spoke, I know I'm referencing this, you know, seemingly infamous discussion that we had back in June, and I will link that um, in the description if anyone wants to, you know, compare then versus now. But we, um, when we were, when we spoke, or perhaps just in general, the general thinking was that at least the chip shortage would ease in Q3. Well. Uh-huh. Here we are in Q3, um, and I, even um, Intel CEO Pat Kelsinger said that he expects the shortage to ease up in 2022, but perhaps continue into 2023. What? Yeah, I guess what's the timeline look like? Because I know that you're saying you know yeah. it's going to recovery times are certainly going to vary for industries. Yeah, they, they do vary, and it's not just because every company has a different role that they play within the supply chain. I think if you look in general at the, at the foundry industry, which supports a lot of the fabulous companies, they're already getting close to meeting the expectations of their customers. If you look closely at the memory sector, which accounts for about a third of the total semiconductor market, you know, the Samsungs and, and Kyoxia and Microns of the world, they're starting to see some price erosion that began early in October. And again, there are some signs where you're starting to see this turn a bit. When you listen to Intel, I think Intel, uh, definitely has seen its own challenges. The challenges are not only related to the shortages, but also business challenges and execution challenges as a company. So each company will definitely have a different scenario. I I still believe that the the majority of the foundry industry began to catch up by the end of this third quarter. And and it gets better by the, the end of this year, but there are certain parts, especially for mature technologies. If you look at things like LCD controllers or SSD controllers or power management ICs, all of these different um, technologies have a common denominator. They use the same process node technology. And a lot of that process node um, is is where it's really tight for the semiconductor industry. So in those areas, definitely, you're seeing some lingering in effects and some some of it will probably begin to recover in the first half. But, but I think if we're not careful as a supply chain within the, I'm talking more about the semiconductor space, you could essentially even see some, some oversupply in the second half of really? this year. And, and so I think we, we've been talking a little bit about this since June, just because we are seeing a tremendous amount of capital being invested in this space. Mm-hmm. And it takes time to build the fab, sometimes 18 to 24 months plus time to ramp. But there are certain companies that have been already building this capacity. And some of it is coming online, uh, you know, now and some of it coming online by the middle of next year. And so it's more important to kind of look at where will demand be in 2022. I mean, and, you know, especially as we go back to work, we're starting to see that, you know, demand for Chromebooks, for example, has begun has begun to dry up a little bit, right? And, and demand for low cost Windows devices, because kids are going back to school because we're going back to our offices, right? So there are certain market segments that are now beginning to see some changing effects, right? You know, the travel industry hasn't yet really recovered, mm-hmm. um, even though we're, it, we're seeing gas prices soar at this point. And some of this is, again, supply driven, but, but at some point in time, those things do have an impact on the economic viability of every consumer, right? They only have a certain amount of budget that's allocated to these goods. And so we'll see where the demand picture ends up next year, but we're looking at that very closely. And that's why we we provided a scenario that we we did. Got it. So I just have one um, sort of follow-up question there. You talked about perhaps seeing oversupply. What is, I mean, to me, that sort of seems like it could be perhaps bad news for um, the semiconductor industry because they've got just a lot of product on their hands. And perhaps, would this technology, you know, become outdated? But 
what does what does oversupply look like for the semiconductor industry, I guess? I think that um, one of the things that the semiconductor companies have learned over the years has been that this the semiconductor industry always goes through periods and cycles that mm. are up and down. And I think they're reacting much better than they have in the past. I think suppliers in areas like memory, for example, they're, it's basically, basically operating like oligopolies. So they definitely control the amount of supply that's out there and the perception of how tight the market is. And so if the industry starts changing from a demand scenario, in the second half, you could see some of these companies begin to push out orders of semiconductor equipment. And so some of the, the the lines that they thought they would have online by the end of the year maybe don't happen until the following year. And so you, you're going to see some maneuvering along those paths just to be able to balance out supply and demand. But I think it's important for the entire industry to keep looking very closely at where demand is going, whether it's PC demand or demand for smartphones or what we're seeing in terms of the build out for infrastructure. We're also looking very closely at at what the US plans to do from an, a stimulus standpoint for infrastructure and how, how that plays out over time. I think some of these investments will be critical to watch because it could extend the demand curve that we're seeing today and the cycle that we're seeing today. So just to wrap up, I, you've obviously spoken a lot about um, the that investment is needed for this shortage to end. And I guess I'm curious what some of those investments look like. Investment in capital, certainly, but is there also an investment in, you know, recruiting people to to work and be able to make these devices? Is there going to be need? Uh, yeah, it seems like people capital. What other investments is do they need to be making an investment in people? I think that you're still seeing a lot of investment by semiconductor in, by the semiconductor industry in areas like R&D. Okay. Uh, a lot more investment in software. I mean, you talked earlier with some of your other colleagues, they were talking about the fact that there's just so many different companies now entering the semiconductor. Yeah, foray. absolutely. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that they realize that the closer you couple hardware and software, the more you can differentiate your system, whether it's an iPhone or a you know, pixel system, uh, all of these different devices require very close knit collaboration between the hardware and software. And so I see a lot more investment happening from semiconductor suppliers in areas like software where more of the R&D is headed more in that direction because that's where you're seeing a lot of the differentiation. I think there's gonna be a lot more investment by companies moving more of their data to continue to move the data to the cloud but at the same time, expanding their reach into the edge because there's a big opportunity that's beginning to unfold at the edge where all of these endpoints are getting more intelligent and they're beginning to drive more, more data. And in some cases, some industries like industrial or retail or even in your vehicle, you want that data to be processed in real time. So there's not going to be any time for you to take that data back to the cloud and have it make a decision and bring it back to your vehicle. By then you'll be in an accident, right? Especially if it's an autonomous vehicle. So I think there's a lot of investment that you're going to still see in areas like automotive mm -hmm. and software. Um, you're seeing, of course, heavy investments by the big three guys, TSMC, Samsung, and Intel in process technology. And, and they're making big bets and they're actually almost forcing their customers to align with them so that it guarantees that when that capacity is ready, these customers will be ready to adopt it. Got it. Well, thank you so much, Mario, for calling in and joining us. I think this is really You're insightful. Welcome. So just um, 
to wrap up here. I really appreciate it, like I said, and thank you all so much for watching this episode of Today in Tech. If you liked this video, please do give it a thumbs up. And if you're watching on LinkedIn, you can head over onto our YouTube channel, IDG Tech Talk. You can give the video a thumbs up there, subscribe to our channel, and hit the bell icon so you're notified every single time we post a new video. If you have any questions or comments that we didn't get to, or you're watching this after the fact and you'd like to ask them, please do leave them in the comments below and I will do my best to get back to you. Thanks again for watching and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by IDG Communications Incorporated.